Coming up on today's very special 200th episode of The Virtual Couch, the guest is none other than yours truly, me, Tony Overbay. And yes, I just broke the vow made long, long ago to never talk in the third person, but former podcast guest and co-author of my best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert, Joshua Shea uses his 26 years of journalistic experience and interviews Tony, okay, me, on a variety of topics including life before becoming a therapist, the boating accident that dramatically altered my future, as well as hard-hitting questions such as whether or not I watched The Tiger King, and if I did, what was my take? That and plenty more coming up on this episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody. This is a very quick advertisement, and I know I'm a podcast listener. You can hit the little fast-forward button probably on your podcast player, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, but bear with me. I'll try to make this quick. As a therapist myself, I obviously recommend that everybody give therapy a try because when people ask me, do I need therapy? I don't even have to talk to you. The answer is yes, I need therapy. Everyone could use a sounding board. Everybody could use uh, an objective third party. Everybody could kind of dig deep a little bit and find out what are things that they've been holding back on? What are the things that they feel like they should be able to get over or shouldn't be worrying about? Shouldn't, shouldn't, nobody wants to be should on. But we're all hanging on to things that uh, would be helpful to process. And there's even things that we thought we'd achieve by now or things that we really want to achieve so that we won't have these regrets in life. And so if there are people listening right now that might be noticing that their anxiety or their depression might be getting a tiny bit worse, especially with what's going on in the world right now, let's get to it. Let's not leave that untreated. You owe it to yourself, to those around you, your spouse, your kids, you. I mean, you're the, you owe it to you at the very least to give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in the therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash virtual couch, all one word. And just take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over half a million, approaching a million people have already done before you and sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get the help that you need, the help that you maybe didn't even know that you need. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which might not be available in many areas. And especially right now with shelter in place, with social distancing, betterhelp.com is designed to do video therapy, telephone therapy. They even have uh, appointments that you can text. So the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account at any time and message your therapist and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule these weekly video phone sessions, whatever it is. So you won't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Although every time I do this ad, I do want to say that my waiting room is quite lovely. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Oftentimes you can start communicating in under 24 hours and the betterhelp.com assessment, the intake alone is brilliant. And they also work with with all kinds of things. Acceptance and commitment therapy, one of my favorite techniques. Emotionally focused therapy. They work with anxiety, with OCD, with depression. So do yourself a favor. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll receive 10% off your first month's services. And, and I can't lie, obviously, if you're going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, and this is the virtual couch podcast, it's going to help me out a little bit too. So go check it out. You'll receive 10% off your first month services. What are you waiting for? Just go check it out. Betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Try it today. Episode 200 of The Virtual Couch. If there were bells and whistles and fanfare, it would happen now. 
Uh, I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography and co-author of the book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An expert and a former addict answer your questions. But I'm grateful to be here. Episode 200. I had other big plans for today. I had a lot of different plans, but I was contacted recently by the co-author of the book that I just mentioned, and Joshua Shea. And Josh asked me, what are you doing for episode 200? And I did have plans. And now I look back on them, probably not the most exciting plans. I was planning on doing a guided meditation. I know that sounds very exciting, but I wanted to do a guided meditation, a little bit of mindfulness so that I always could re- refer to episode 200 and say, hey, this is, uh, there you can go. You can go, if you don't know a lot about mindfulness, you could do that. But Josh asked me, again, are you doing anything special for episode 200? I told him no, or I told him this mindfulness example. And he quickly said, what if, what if I interview you? He's a journalist by trade, uh, 20-something years in the business. Um, used to run a magazine and a film festival and a bunch of things like that. And so he said, let, let me interview you. He said, I put together a lot of pieces of listening to various podcasts, but um, maybe people would want to hear. And, and it's even hard for me to talk about it in that way. I do a podcast so that I can bring information to you, not to talk about myself, but I do get regular emails or, or questions um, if I really do have ADHD or, or what's my family like, or because um, I talk about having a career before becoming a therapist. And so we cover all of those things. And uh, once we got in the flow of things, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. There were a lot of things that we, he, he asked me that I wasn't anticipating. So that was, uh, that was kind of exciting as well. And there were even times where he would ask a question. I thought we were going a completely different direction. And I'm not saying that that would lead necessarily to a part two, but I guess you never know. So I am grateful that he interviewed me. And so I want to quickly get to that interview. Of course, you can find me as well on Instagram at virtual couch. Um, I wasn't, I was going to let this sit for a little while longer. It's uh, but it was, it's been kind of fun, but if you, if you have teenagers, if you, are familiar at all with TikTok. I can't even believe I'm, I'm putting this out there. Go look up at Virtual Couch on TikTok. And there are videos about uh, my one of my daughters, McKinley, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, she is there with me. We're filming some videos that I think are pretty funny. There's a, there's a bad therapist series, which eventually will be followed by a good therapist series. And there's also an outlet for something that I wanted to do. It's a nightly tradition where I throw a treat to my dog, Kobe in slow motion. And <clears throat> you have to go see why, why it makes me laugh so hard. But uh, I think you'll see why I think it's so funny. So that's TikTok at virtual couch. You can go check it out there. And as well as Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist on Facebook and the, the positive parenting, even during the not so positive times, free parenting course continues to, to kind of really go crazy and uh, grateful for feedback. And just a lot of people have downloaded and taken that free course so you can find that at tonyoverbay.com slash courses, and I'll put a link on there in the show notes as well. But so without any further ado, let me get to the interview of Joshua Shea interviewing me on this special 200th episode of The Virtual Couch. Here we go. Things recorded. All things recording. Yeah. 
do so, I count? Do I count as the actual guest host? And you're my yeah, guest. I think I will talk. I will introduce you as a guest host, and then I will okay. probably also um, relate the hilarious anecdote that we just figured out how to for me to record. No, no you figured out how to use. Zoom. Yeah, I've, I've known for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I don't even regularly host a podcast. Yeah. So, uh, so those who are going to go watch this on the YouTube channel, will see both, uh, co-author, um, Joshua Shea, also guest interviewer side by side with me for the entire recording instead of not just one at a time. I, I got to ask before we start, uh, with the whole pandemic thing and all of the civilians just learning how to use zoom and yeah. you've been doing it for a few years now, I've been doing it for a few years now. Do you feel like this is one of those things where you discovered a band, before everybody else so now everybody's talking about using zoom and you're like yeah that's so 2018 i've been there forever i know what you're saying because i do feel like you do find yourself wanting to mention how long you've been doing yeah and and i think the thing as a therapist too is that time is literally money and so when people come on on zoom i just feel so bad when it takes i mean there are some it's been five ten minutes later and still like no i can't hear you anymore okay no your, your camera's off now Hey, go back. It's somewhere, you know, or I'm mouthing or playing charades to get them. If they can see me, but can't hear me. So that has been. Yeah. Well, my therapist and I actually talked about doing uh, telemedicine for our last appointment. And uh, we both agreed it would just be her and I trying to make each other laugh as if we had a podcast. <laughs> so it was better that we met face to face. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of that. And I will say, um, boy, I shouldn't admit this one uh, out loud, but as someone who is very open with my, uh, my ADD, that just knowing that the now all of a sudden the iPad is in front of me taking notes, but then the person is kind of there and I can almost like look at the camera, but I realize out of my peripheral vision, I can see quite a bit more as the temptation yeah. to at times if a text comes by to look at what that text says, um, those sort of things. I've had to very, very much focus on being very, very <laughs> Yeah. Well, now that I know that I'm going to text you quite a bit. I know you cannot do that. That would be <laughs> um, Okay. So, I, uh, you know, I, I am honored uh, that you have uh, asked me to be the guest host for this special 200th episode extravaganza. <laughs> uh, um, I think that in anything like this, I think that people need to know the host. And while I've probably watched about two dozen of your episodes and have learned pieces about you from there. And also the fact that you and I have worked together, uh, on, on our book. Um, I know pieces about you, but this is a perfect opportunity for me to, uh, sharpen my investigative reporter skills, which I haven't used for quite a while and, uh, find out who the real Tony Overbay is. And that frightens me the way that you introduce it that way. And I will have already given a, probably a very truthful introduction where bless your heart. You know, I appreciated you reached out to me and said, Hey, you do anything special for your 200th. And I was going to do a 10 minute guided meditation session. Cause I've always wanted to do those, but I felt uncomfortable. And I appreciate you saying, Hey, uh, would you happen to want the services of someone who has done this for what? 26 years you've been doing. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, man, and, and ironically, and I'll be open about this too. Um, I'm working on trying to put together more programs. You know, I've been so excited about uh, how our book has done and that has been just wanting me to even do more things like that. And, and I put out a positive parenting program, the alliteration there. And even that I realized, wow, as much as I really feel confident in my therapist skills and things I want to share, I still have this, I don't want to come across as some raging narcissist kind of a person. And, uh, and so then I was talking with this, um, this business coach, a really fantastic guy who was kind of saying, Hey, could it be the chance that the very narcissist that you try to help people, um, disentangle their relationships from are keeping you from really going big on sharing a lot of the things that you feel passionate about. 
And I thought, wow, that was, that was pretty deep. So right when that happened, you happened to say, Hey, would, would you want to maybe talk about yourself? And and I thought, ah, I kind of don't want to, but I do get so many emails and questions about, about, I mean, it's it's even hard for me to say right now about, tell me about your background, tell me about your story or, you know, so I really appreciated you reaching out. Yeah. No, that's, I'm happy to do that. So, so you ready to get this? I'm the host. You're the guest ready to yeah, this is funny. I, I'm, I am wondering at what point maybe there could be an over under on how many minutes until I turn it back to you. Well, what was that like for you when you were growing up, Josh, tell me more about that. So it's, it, it sucked. That'll be my only answer. Okay. It's, it, it sucked. Let's go on with you. All right. Ready? Okay. Okay. Ready? You're ready. Guest? I'm, you, the, I'm the guest. Guest mice. Okay. Hi, I'm Josh Shea. Welcome to the virtual couch. I'm your guest host for today. My guest yeah. will be Tony Overbay. And uh, when you think about the Mount Rushmore of podcasts, you've got to put Tony on it. But how much do you really know about Tony Overbay? Today's episode, we're going to find out everything we can about him. So the the virtual couch debut preview was August 24th, 2017. You posted a three-minute video letting people know what your show was going to be. Uh, How did you decide in the summer of 2017, you wanted to start a podcast. Okay. That is really funny. And I've noticed that anytime that if you go look on iTunes or Apple podcasts and it shows kind of the ones that get the most listens over the years, that darn little three minute thing still pops up there every now and again. And I refuse to go listen again, but I can't even imagine how horrific it is, but it had actually been two years before that that I had really wanted to start a podcast. And I even bought a bunch of equipment, far too much equipment, equipment I never needed, um, mixing board. I think I bought multiple microphones. I bought lavalier mics, all of these things because I was ready to record. And then I never did, but I guess that is not a direct answer. I've been listening to podcasts for, um, I don't even know. I, I should have done a little research on since the dawn of podcasts, uh, when there were just a few dozen and, and it was primarily because I ran, I ran a lot and I had gone through this whole, um, evolution of carrying a Walkman cassette Walkman with, with tethered headphones to, I remember one time getting a a radio headset that could work. And so then when the first iPod came out, it was ginormous. And there was such a thing as a podcast. I was, I was in as a way to kind of bide my time while I ran. Did you ever watch MTV back in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, are you going toward a little Adam Curry action? Yeah, I was just going to say, he's kind of the godfather of podcasts. I don't know where he is today. I don't either. uh, They call him the podfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's kind of the guy who uh, created all that. Because here in Maine, there was a guy I knew who was big on podcasts, and I just, I didn't see it as the future. But he went to some uh, conference in New York that Adam Curry was talking about. He was all jazz about it and this guy doesn't hasn't done podcasts for eight nine years himself so yeah but that's it that's funny that's a great poll and even at that time i was even doing things like there were just people would put random things up on the internet and i would go find an audio file and i would burn it to cd and i would listen to cds in my car of basically interviews and and uh man i've never thought of it in this context but part of you know I, and we'll, i'm sure we'll get to this but i haven't been a therapist my whole life but i've always been fascinated with people i loved uh, the magazine biography I love the show biography. I just love learning how people work. And so I couldn't get enough of just hearing about people's stories. And so I think podcasts were one of the first times where I had access to just so many people that I could listen to and hear really try to figure out what makes them tick. 
One of the things I've always enjoyed about being a journalist is that it kind of gives you a license to ask certain questions that normal people in polite society aren't allowed to ask. Have you found as a podcaster at all? And I'm sure even as a therapist, you probably feel this all the time that, you know, you're not supposed to talk about, you know, sex, drugs or religion. And you've got a license to do that. Do you feel like you, you must feel like you hold back more in podcasts, but do you feel like you have a license to pry so to speak so a little bit i, I like where this interview is going i mean i don't i think i i have put some of that together the joke oh, I'll tell we're, all, we're only three minutes into it but. right but, the, but the, the, i'll make the joke the joke version of this is that we're at a at a christmas party and yeah maybe i'm asking questions that are t- a tad bit uh, obtrusive or inappropriate where my wife will then say hey you know this isn't your office kind of and then we all chuckle but then I also have a lot of people that, oh, you're a therapist, huh? And they immediately at, a, at the Christmas party want to dive into something deep. But so I do, I, I absolutely do feel like it gives me the ability or almost, uh, yeah, carte blanche to ask questions. But I'll tell you the struggle that I, not even, I won't call it the struggle. The challenge I think though, is that I don't, yeah, my podcast audience, I, I don't quite view myself as the one who's going to get in there and ask all the the nitty gritty questions on the podcast. Cause I think I, right now I still am just attacking it from a, Hey, here's how I want to help. Here's this mental health aspect. And it hasn't been as much of the, you know, the you're in my office and I know you want to talk. We all want to be heard. And I'm going to, I'm going to help you answer these questions. But I've thought about that a lot. So, you know, for kind of maybe your experience as a journalist, I've thought about that as maybe even a separate podcast at, at times. Why are episodes one through 10, not on iTunes? Um, you know what? I don't know. Uh, and there's, do they, do they still exist in audio format? Absolutely, They do. They do. And actually this is one of those things that's, that's been just kind of killing me is I didn't even know that. And I will have people every now and again, say some episode in order, you know, I don't know, 80 something, where is that episode? And there have been a couple of times just in the, the whole evolution of the podcast where I've started, I've had three different podcast hosts and it's been because I've grown and kind of outgrown a podcast host. And I know that well, I know I don't know what I'm doing a lot of times. And so sometimes I worry that things get lost when I, when I convert to a new podcast host that will handle a bigger audience. And, uh, but I, as you say that though, there's some settings deep in the bowels of my current podcast. host who I love, but they, they talk about a certain number of episodes and after a certain number of episodes, then I don't know if backlog gets cut off. And I know that a lot of people, this is where then they, they go into their, um, some sort of subscription service and you get access to old episodes and, and I've thought about that as well. And there's just so much, so many things I want to do, but uh, so little time. So yes. I don't know. And I need to, I will have those back up on, uh, I think everything can eventually reside on my website at some point. Probably. Um, I was first on episode 27 uh, oh. back on January 10th, 2018. Um, and oh, I, I want yeah, I watched that recently, and uh, I think that I was brand new to the podcast world, and you were kind of still fairly yeah. new to the podcast world. Absolutely. And but but it sounds a lot like just two friends talking, probably just Good. as professionals we are now. Yeah. Um, what have you learned about podcasting itself? Not necessarily the technical side of it, but what have you learned as a host of a podcast over 199 episodes, talking to different guests, you know, doing this almost day in and day out? You, you have a great amount of output. Yeah. Um, what lessons have you taken? So uh, a great one is that I think that you will not be fall, will not fall into this category, but I, I feel like you and I could, you could say, Hey, uh, I want to do a, I want to do a podcast that you have time later this afternoon and we could jump in and just kind of go for it. 
And so I'm so used to that, that I have found that a lot of times I'll, I'll share uh, like a Google document with a guest and just say, Hey, let's kick around a couple of questions. And I think that they're of course, anticipating that I will then ask them questions for them to think about prior to an episode. But I'm almost saying, Hey, uh, why don't you share some things, some questions that you think that if I ask, will get you into your talking points. And I've learned more and more that people really want a lot of prep time. They want to be able to think through the things they're going to say. And I kind of like just the off the cuff stuff. So I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to, and this is so funny because all I do is preach empathy all day in my practice, but to be more empathetic toward the guest and, and kind of wanting to, I need to put myself in their shoes and say, well, if they, if they're not comfortable just speaking off the cuff, then they probably want a little more direction. And I'm still not good at that. I'm trying hard. Well, I was going to say now, obviously no names, but after eight minutes, are there times where you're just like, Oh geez, this is good. This is going to be a long hour or maybe I can go 40 minutes and get away with this. This is going to sound like one of those. I love all my guests and that sort of thing. I know. Yeah. I can definitely say, yes, there are ones that I thought might go a different direction, but I feel like uh, this would be funny if I went back and listened to some of those I feel like I almost hit a point where then, you know, I'm, I'm just going to start just trying to uh, ask just a variety of questions that maybe weren't prepared because I just want to get off of the, maybe if it's the cliches or the buzzwords or that sort of thing. But I can all, I can honestly say the opposite of that though, where there have been some people that I have, uh, I mean, now I get approached by publicists and, and PR companies all the time. And so I have taken on some of those interviews and some of those I felt like, okay, this is just somebody that doesn't have a clue who I am. They're going to come on and just recite their talking points and move on. And I've had, I can honestly say probably half a dozen of those where I get a nice uh, email or text back that says, Hey, that felt different. Or I do this a lot. And that was really great. And uh, so I I love to tell my wife, I kind of have a joke of, you know, every every interview I've done now, that's one of my new best friends. And I really love that. Like that's been one of my favorite parts. And I feel like that's one of the things that we had was I know when I brag you up about even the book project, I talk about that you had done, I don't know what, 70 or 80 and you've done so you did big radio and TV and all that. And then you come back and approach little old me and say, Hey, uh, we clicked. How about this, this project? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I've, I've been, uh, I've now been on, uh, as a guest, probably about 150 podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you do have one of the most natural cadences and we can jump into it. And, and I can also tell now having done this many and also just being a half decent communicator coming into the entire process that, uh, hosts really like just going off the cuff and not reading, reading questions and that, um, certain topics if you know running through the list uh come up again and again you seem to really be big into anxiety ptsd parenting obviously the the porn and sex issues um which ones do you feel are particularly close to you and that's why you 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 know not necessarily you deal with them but they're they're more important than maybe some of the other issues yeah no i love that because i really so if i go back honestly and i guess this was even going back to one of your first questions i kind of feel like one of the reasons i started my own podcast was I did, I mean, I wanted to share, I really felt like the longer I become a therapist, the more I just felt like things clicked. And I really wanted to share things that I think could help people be a better, better parent, better couple. But then in my practice, I was doing more and more with the pornography addiction. And I really feel like there was, it was a decade or so ago where there was still a lot of this, you just need to do this. And plus, if you don't do this, something's wrong with you. So there was still kind of this shame-based, I feel like behavioral model and, and I felt like I was uh, not seeing results of that in my office. And so I was starting to work with, um, and I've had him on my podcast or no, I haven't had him. I've been on his, but Craig Para, 
who he had, he was kind of had this different model. This, uh, he has this model called the mindful habit. That was more of this, we're going to deal with the porn and stuff, but we're going to really kind of get you in a better place as a human being. And so I started seeing that a lot. So anyway, long, I'm, I'm, I'm going off in the woods, but I guess I can do that a little bit here. But so I, I create this program, the path back, this online pornography recovery program. And I didn't know how to market it quite frankly. And so I thought, man, I want to do a podcast. I want to talk about these things I'm passionate about. I've got this kind of a different view on how to treat pornography addiction. And I've got this online program that I think will do well. And so I thought the best way to address that is do a podcast. And that's why at the beginning of all 200 episodes, you know, I say I'm whatever speaker, writer, husband, father, ultramarathon runner, and creator of the path back an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you overcome pornography addiction, that sort of thing. So it really was a way for me to talk about or to advertise the path back. But I have to tell you, um, I didn't want it to become just the pornography podcast. I looked into yep. it and I saw a bunch of those and I will not name names, but I still remember I was a few episodes in and I reached out to somebody that had just a pornography only, um, podcast. And I just said, Hey, I've got a podcast. I'd love to come on your podcast and I'll have you on my podcast. And they said, I don't know, let me get a couple of dozen episodes of yours. Uh, you know, let me be able to digest them. And then, uh, and he and or she may have came back later and said, well, you're not talking about pornography enough. So I think I'll take a pass. And that's one of those where, you know, it kind of ticked me off at the time. I'm going to, I'm going to share a name with you when we're done. And I bet I know who it is. <laughs> okay. But it, it really, it was really kind of a, it bothered me, but I really, I did realize at that time that I didn't want to just have a, we're talking about pornography all the time because my main thing that I talk about is even if somebody's struggling with pornography addiction, it's, it's, that's the coping mechanism. And meanwhile, they, they, if they can work on their parenting skills or their couple's relationship skills or their faith journeys or their health or their careers, I feel like when they get dialed in in all those areas, then the, the addiction kind of isn't as strong, doesn't have as much of a stronghold. And so that's the direction I started going with the podcast was try to, you know, try to talk about those areas. Cause I felt like I could speak um, professionally or passionately about each one of those areas, just as I could about the pornography addiction. So, so yeah, that's where some of those topics start coming up. Now you've had family on your show, uh, sharing some of their mental health issues. Uh, did you ask them to be on or did they volunteer? And when you're actually in the act of doing it, is there any fear about the line between podcast host therapist and, you know, family man, father, husband? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I just did one where my wife finally appeared. I think that was episode 197 or 98 or something. And I, and I think that she kind of, uh, feels like she got duped into it a bit. Cause I had, um, I had two of my daughters, my son-in-law and nephew of mine, we were talking about the, uh, quarantine. And I love that episode. They, they did an amazing job talking about it. And my wife was so natural and I've gotten really cool feedback about hearing from her. But one of the emails I get the most is, Hey, I would love to, why don't you interview your wife and ask her what it's like to be married to a therapist? Cause I think a lot of people assume that that maybe either is a good thing or a completely horrible thing, you know, that I'm trying to, I, I could, I could see either way. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I could see both of those, but the, so my daughter McKinley has been on a couple of times. That's been one of those that I have been very aware of. I never wanted to cross some, you know, line with her. She's been very outspoken about her anxiety and her depression. And so she posts a lot about it has a pretty decent following on social media. So there was a part where I think the first time I had her on, she had posted some, something about really mental health awareness and some of her struggles. And that was one where I did say, Hey, if you ever wanted to talk about that and she jumped right on it and she's received so much feedback from that alone that I think that's what then sparked her coming on a second time. And I've got plans. I mean, I, my oldest daughter who was on the, 
the episode with the quarantine, my oldest daughter, Alexa, uh, she's, she has some, her and her husband, Mitch, we've been chronicling their first year of marriage. Um, they've been married one year in a, in a couple of weeks now. And I even had them in for a very long interview before they got married. And I took about three hours worth of notes, I bought them some nice Chinese food. We sat in the conference room and I did a whole bunch of, you know, we eventually want to come up with a program where we talk about uh, pre-marriage some things to know before you get married, the first year of marriage. So, I mean, I have big plans for them as well because they're so personable and relatable. And so uh, I have a daughter named Sydney who I've talked about as uh, when I give examples at times of um, she asked me about doing tumbling in ninth or 10th grade. And that was one where I give this example of I, my immediate reaction wanted to be you're in ninth grade, you know, you don't you, tumblers start when they're in fifth grade or, or five years old. And I, I'm just, this can be a waste of my money. And I, I used mindfulness skills. Didn't said, tell me more. She said, I didn't want to regret that. And then she went on to be part of their, our competitive stunt team state championship of, of our high school and, and, and became a cheerleader just her junior and senior year, which was an incredible thing for her. But I'm, she loves true crime. And I def, I want to have a virtual couch. I've never even said this out loud. Virtual couch, true crime edition, where you take the, you know, true crime is such a buzzword. I love it. But you take the, the psychological or mental health aspects of some of the true crime episodes and talk about that. And so, I mean, I want to talk to her. And then my son, Jake, is a teenage boy. So he just... Uh, He's full of a lot of like shrugs and one word answers. And so when that evolves a bit more, I'd love to have him on too. So I, you know, I have started to kind of look at that, but I don't want to exploit them or. or right. Um, yeah. Um, now you've never hidden the fact that spirituality is a big part of your life, that you're a member of the LDS church, but certain topics that you tackle uh, would actually be taboo to a lot of religions. Yeah. And, and, and some of your messages of openness and inclusion do fly in the face of a lot of religious uh, tenets, um, including your own uh, religion to some degree. H- how do you rectify this with what you're doing on a podcast professionally versus who you are spiritually outside of it? Oh, it's such a good question, Josh. And this is another, this is one of those, if I really want to get, I don't know, on a soapbox or I'm very passionate about, I've done a whole lot with um, people's faith journey, their faith crisis. And I, I really tap into this. It's called uh, James Fowler stages of faith. I've done a couple episodes on my own on that. And I just had an episode on a, on a really, uh, really good guy named Brandon Patrick called ask Brandon anything where I talked about faith crisis or faith journey in a relationship. And so, so quite frankly, um, man, we could talk for a long time on this one. So I'll try to make it pretty quick, but yeah, part of what I've, um, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. I'm excited about this. So part of, part of what I've learned as a therapist, I don't think I would have known had I not been on this whole therapist journey is that a lot of what I feel people's anxiety, their depression, their addiction, those sort of things come from this what's wrong with me story that they, they tell themselves or they ask themselves. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think that that a lot of that is, is coming from, they, they grow up and they're in a family system, whether it's their parents or their, their, their community or their church or kind of says, Hey, here's, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to think. And here's what you, here's the emotions that should go along with that but it's just not that easy. And so we have a human experience based on all the things that we bring to the table. I would say the whole nature, nurture and birth order and DNA and all that stuff, abandonment, rejection. So then we're trying to then fit into this box as you, as, as Fowler kind of talks about it in his stages of faith, try to fit into this, this box. And then, and so even like a faith community is considered an all encompassing belief system. And so we try to fit into this all encompassing belief system into this box and then when we have struggles or challenges and we bump up against the sides of the box, we start to feel like we don't fit in the box, but we ask those people right. that are kind of in charge of our, our maybe religious experience or even our parents or that sort of thing. And they just tell us, Hey, well, you just need to do this. 
or you just need to think this, or you just need to, you know, in my, in my faith, a lot of it's just, you just need to pray and read your scriptures more. Well, surprise, people have been doing that for years and still feeling like that's not quite it because, you know, they don't feel like they're really themselves. And so, so I feel like a lot of the work that I do and that a lot of the work that I've even been through myself is just trying to figure out really who, who am I and what makes me tick? What are the, what are my core values that might differ a little bit from what my parents have said you should think, or maybe my faith community says you should think and, and really learning that I'm okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with me for thinking those things. And you're right. At times that does fly a little bit in the, the face of the, maybe those who kind of say, well, but you need to think this, or you need to do it this way. And, and I'm 50 now, which is crazy. And I wish I would have figured this stuff out a lot sooner, but I feel like I'm to the point now where I feel very comfortable in my own skin, which I think is, I am, I, that's what I want everybody to feel. And so if that flies a little bit in the, uh, against some of the, here's what you should think or should do, then, you know, in Valor stages of faith, there's this one called stage five, where it's basically this, you realize life's full of mystery and paradox. You can return to your faith community without feeling like you're kind of stuck in that theological box, but you're able to say, man, bless your heart if that works for you. But for me, I've been through my own private experiences and, and man, the part where I feel like what's wrong with me sure hasn't led to a lot of growth or hasn't put me in a spot to really feel like I'm a contributing member to society or a good dad or, or a good husband. And so it's taken a lot of work to try to not feel bad about myself for some of the things I may think or feel or believe. And then once you get rid of that shame, you know, and then kind of really start to live by your own values, life becomes incredible. I mean, it becomes just, I can't get enough of it. And so if that somebody's telling me I'm doing it wrong, bless their heart. I mean, I, I want to help them kind of find this other place. Yeah. Uh, final question about the podcast world, and then we'll get yeah. into some more personal uh, backstory. Um, okay, you're approaching three years here coming up into this summer. Uh, has it been worth it? Are you going to continue moving forward? Will we be rejoining each other for the 400th episode? What, what do you see for the future of the virtual couch? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I, I had no idea. I often say these things to people close to me that um, I didn't know what to expect with it. I didn't anticipate 200 episodes. I don't know why. I, I just didn't think that through. But the podcast has led to things like our book project, you know, which has been phenomenal. I'm an author now, co-author. And, and now I've got a couple other books in the works that I can't even wait for. And, uh, and it's led to, you know, some more kind of planning of some online programs. It's, I've been speaking to people for 20 years, but it's led to some opportunities to, to speak at some pretty big events or big venues. And a lot of those are here to come. So I feel like there's no way I could stop podcasting. I love podcasting, but I also, um, well, the thing I was going to say a minute ago is I, I tell people I've created this, uh, this lovable monster. And I just, the, the crazy thing about a podcast is every episode that goes out, uh, people will eventually in podcasts are continuing to grow and then people will share episodes with other people and they'll go back and they'll listen to back catalog and I'll get emails. I mean, I used to say, Hey, drop me an email if you have a question and kind of hope that somebody would email me. And now there's, you know, a dozen or more emails a day and uh, I, I don't have time to get back to everybody. And I feel bad about that, but it's also led to an incredibly full practice. It's, I mean, it's just, it's given me so much, yeah. but uh, so there's no way I would stop, stop doing that. I do feel like at some point, um, I do want to, I want to do some other podcasts. I've got plans right now for one, a couple of three to six part, you know, more scripted podcasts that really tackle some topics. And, uh, and I've thought about, like you mentioned earlier, doing a separate one where maybe I do just do a little bit more of, uh, interviewing people that I just find fascinating. 
Yeah. So yeah, you'll see plenty more. I, th- I think I think you'd be great at that. Now, eighteen-year-old uh, Tony never dreamed of being a therapist. Um, he thought he was going to be a pro athlete. You know, probably a baseball player. Uh, now, tell me, was was this a pipe dream of a kid in Utah, or do you think that you actually had the chops to potentially uh, uh, succeed as a? professional athlete. This is so funny. I, I feel like whenever I say this, I really feel like, well, every kid says this, but, um, but man, I was, uh, ath- athletics sports was my happy place. It was just where I turned to growing up and, uh, and I, I had a lot of success in sports and in, in baseball and, uh, basketball. I'm a very tiny man, uh, five, seven, five, eight with shoes on. So I knew the basketball thing probably wasn't going to be the case, but I really was a, a pretty decent baseball player. I lived in Utah. The seasons were short because of snow we would play in the summers, this American Legion ball. And so, um, but I, I did pretty well, I think. Uh, and I, I'm grateful now that maybe Google only works so, so well. I believe I was an all state baseball player, my junior and senior year. Um, and, and so that in Utah though, you really don't start to, I I'd been recruited. I'd done a few campus visits after my junior year. And so I thought senior year, you know, here we go. I think we had a heavy snow. And so then we only had a few, a handful of games played my senior season And then the big, it was going to be the summer. It was going to be, all right. I mean, at the time I had University of Utah looking at me, BYU looking at me, a lot of small schools looking at me. And I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to go play some baseball. And yeah, I thought maybe I could get drafted and go into the minor leagues and play a little bit. Um, So I did. I really thought that I had a chance at that. But a, you know, I know the story of the accident, but I I don't know if all the listeners do what, uh, what, what jumped in your way as an act of nature that uh, killed this dream. There were a couple of things that were pretty crazy. So after my senior year, we, uh, we went on a senior trip to St. George, Utah, this place called Lake Powell. And if you look on a map, it's a beautiful lake. And we were, we were just, and it was a bunch of kids that were, I mean, at the time, a bunch of LDS kids with their parents, there wasn't drinking, there wasn't cavorting. There was just, just a lot of water. Boy, boy that sounds like fun. <laughs> it was so fun. And we just, we, there was so much just water skiing and fun and just a, a great time. And one of my friends' dads had a 28-foot dual prop Sea Ray or something. I forget the name of the boat. And I was trying to kick off one ski and ski with just one ski on. And I remember I had tried it a couple times. And, and you know, I was, I've always tried to be the class clown or that kind of guy. I, I think I had maybe done something funny. But then I'm in the water. And, uh, man, I can, I can really remember this very well. But, and I remember my back is to the boat. I can hear the prop. I mean, I can hear the motor. But I don't know enough about boating. And yeah. so I've got one ski on and I think I'm getting the other ski on. And the way I've heard the story now of a bunch of times was, um, the, the, the dad maybe had it just instead of, instead of the engine off or even in it, instead of it in neutral, it was barely back. So it was just idling back a little bit, slowly, slowly. And it was such a big boat that they couldn't really see down. And so then I just remember all of a sudden the prop hits the ski and one of the skis and I'm guessing in the turning of it, it I remember it flipped me around and then I remember going under the water, you know, it's that thing where you can look up and you can just see that little circle of, yeah. right. And I remember that happening and I just yeah. remember just feeling it just hit my legs. I can still to this day, just like, boom, 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 you know? And then all of a sudden I don't remember anything else. And I'm up on the boat and I remember somebody telling me, don't, don't let him look, you know? And I remember, well, that must mean I need to look. So I remember sitting up yeah. to look, I just remember my legs looking kind of really fleshy and, and then they all of a sudden put me down wow. and then it was like an hour ride to the marina. And, uh, I still remember, um, a good friend of mine that I've, I've been unable to locate as well as I'd like to named Todd Dana was Eagle scout and he kept, kept uh, stuff on the wound. And, and then I, a bunch of other friends were on the boat and they were trying to keep me calm. And I just remember an hour of just 
going, we must've been going as fast as we could and just hitting this, you know, wake after wake and just make it to this Marina. And they had this makeshift little arena Marie, uh, hospital at this Marina. And I was still two behind. There was somebody that had passed out cliff diving. And I learned later that I don't think she made it. Um, she had been life flighted out of there. And then there was some guy that owned a used car dealership in Colorado. I remember that well. And he'd been tying up a boat and something hit a wave went and then it just took his fingers off and they had him in a cooler. So he was sitting there and I'm sitting there with my legs all cut up. What, you know? what is wrong with you people? Like <laughs> Powell, exactly. you would think this, would, this, would, this should be oh. like a year worth of injuries. Yeah, we were all sitting in there together and I used to have this Polaroid and I, I've lost it since, but it was like, they came and took a picture of us and there was this just pasty white doctor. We were all so tan at that point and my legs still all bloody. My friends had all came in there but there was a smile, you know, and we all smile and he was working on my legs and, and, but I remember just, uh, and then I was, I was out, I couldn't move my legs for a couple of years. I still have pretty cool scars on both legs. Um, one of them has good prop mark scars. The other one has kind of a chunk, yeah, chunk cut out of the back. And so, you know, it wasn't the, he'll never walk again, but I was definitely told I won't be running for uh, the foreseeable future. And so I just remember spending that summer, just, I was at home VHS. It was pretty new. We had a VHS player, and I remember watching a lot of movies. I couldn't move my legs. My friends would come over a little bit. And so that whole summer that was supposed to be the, Hey, you're getting recruited, go play college baseball was shot. And I, I, I don't think I've ever told this one, but they were so kind. They invited me to this all-star game. I remember it was in Tooele, Utah. It was at the end of the summer and it was almost like, you know, uh, nobody knows my story. It's not like we had social media then. It wasn't like it was really much in the paper. I hobble out and then I swing on three, three pitches, strike out. And then I remember a couple of the coaches, uh, came up to me like, Hey, good luck, son. You know, and I was just bitter. I was so bitter that that whole thing had happened. And then another part of that was uh, a couple of weeks after that Lake Powell trip, um, there was a really bad accident. And one of my, my best friends since childhood, uh, a guy named Trent Curl and his brother and his uh, brother, Toby and his friend, Jeremy, and then his uh, uh, Trent's girlfriend at the time, Lisa Warren, who had been one of my childhood crushes, I think middle school, she I'd asked her to go with me, I think was what we used to say back in the day. So, um, but they were all killed in a car wreck. So that, that summer was rough. And so we had these, uh, three funerals and over the span of a couple of days, I'd had this leg injury and, uh, just, I just wanted to get out of there. And so that was like, kind of put the pro baseball dreams aside and a buddy of mine, my other best friend, Grant was going out to Kansas state university in Manhattan, the wildcats. And he was just like, come with me. And I just thought, okay, why not? You know? And, I don't remember much about that other than my parents, bless their hearts, said, okay, go ahead and go. And, and so I headed out to Kansas and my college or my high school baseball coach had written a letter that said I was the, the best bad ball hitter he'd ever seen, you know, hit over 500. Not, not, doesn't that just mean you'll swing at anything? Yeah, but swing, but yet make contact, Josh. That was the thing. I don't think I rarely struck out. I could put, put the bat on anything, okay. but then I get out there and then it was like basically trying to walk on at Kansas state. They, they, you know, there was a potential to have a partial scholarship and I don't know, well, I look back on it now, my goodness, you know, uh, friends dying, um, leg injuries, and then I'm in the middle of Kansas, and uh, I just, I wasn't feeling it anymore. Well, and then it, it wasn't long after this that your brother died, yeah. and, you, and you also got married. Yeah. I mean, this, this must have just been highs, lows, highs, lows, highs, lows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah and, and that's funny, too. So I had, uh, I had dated my wife now my senior year. And so then she's a year younger. And so I go out to Kansas. And so we're doing a long distance relationship. And that was the days of long distance. I think my parents gave me 50 bucks a month um, to, to work with there in Kansas. And I had to pay my long distance bill. You remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, there were months where I think I would blow the 50 bucks on my phone bill. 
You have to wait till nine o'clock to call. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so trying to connect with, uh, with, with my girlfriend and, 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 you know, I was a 19, 18, 19 year old kid, you know, she's back in, in, in her senior year of high school and going to dances and all that stuff. And I'm sure I was jealous and, you know, so yeah, you know, it is funny. That was quite a mess, but then I moved back, uh, halfway through my sophomore year of college. Uh, Cause I just think, I don't know, Kansas really wasn't, wasn't really it for me. I had a lot of good friends there. I joined a fraternity. I was one of only two guys that didn't drink in the fraternity. So I've got a whole bunch of fun stories about that. Of uh, <laughs> Stuff you've know. seen, I'm guessing. Stuff I've seen. I was the guy who was the designated drawer. I would draw. I was very good at drawing mustaches. And, oh, and, yeah. Uh, okay. And I remember that. Right? Yeah. And, yep. and, then, and then admittedly, uh, <laughs> I get to know a lot of the fraternity brothers well, because when somebody had a test coming up the next week or their parents were coming to visit, then they would you know, find Overbay, you know, and then it's like, all right, what do we do? So it's almost like every weekend I had a new, a new buddy who wanted to know, tell me about this life where you don't drink. So like, you were the, you, you were the fixer. I was, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was a blast. I, I, you know, a couple of things I've never talked about. Um, one, I remember, I don't know, I would just do little pranks. So we were really good at what before guys would pass out, encouraging them to order pizza and get their money out. You know, we were so good at that. A friend of mine and I, so then it's like the, they would pass out. If you timed it right, they pass out the pizza comes. They've left too much money out for the pizza guy. You give it to him. You give him a nice tip because you know, he's just trying his best. And you come out of that with about 10 bucks change and then pizza. And a pizza. That's, yeah, that's, the guy that's never a, remembers it. He never that's remembers it. That's a great little scam. Um, <laughs> a, after you, you did college, uh, finished college back in Utah, then you moved to California. Uh, you worked in soft. You didn't go right into therapy. You worked in yeah. software for 10 years. Um, you got to travel the world, but you weren't feeling fulfilled uh, professionally and I'm guessing personally as well. Yeah. Um, why, why didn't the software world do it for you? What, what was missing? Yeah. You know, my, uh, I went to work for my brother-in-law Nate who's a great guy and he and his brother had started a software company. I remember Nate said early on, he said, you're going to either get the computer thing in about 90 days or you're not. And, and I felt like he was so right. I felt like I understood computers, but what I realized in hindsight was, every, I mean, this was in the early nineties. And I mean, I was speaking at trade shows around the world. So I got to scratch that itch of speaking, but I was basically just reciting things that I had learned about our software. And, but I'm running into people that everybody wanted to come up and give their pedigree. It was like, you know, if you look at the Bible and everybody's like, you know, I am whatever son of this guy, son of whatever. It's like, people are coming up, you know, I am, I am Kevin. I, I, I cut my teeth on a app Mac two E I trained on a Commodore 64. My father used punch cards and I didn't really care about any of that, but I was supposed to be very impressed. So I could do my dog and pony, but then I, I just didn't care as much about, oh my gosh, this new processor. And do you know that now we're multi-threaded and, you know, now this uh, asynchronous this. And, and I knew how to speak all those things, but I just didn't, it didn't speak to me. And, and yeah. along that time though, I was starting to notice though, I was that guy that had this, I felt like my superpower was if I went on a, a, a road trip with somebody, they would just spill their guts and, and we'd just talk about everything. And even, I remember this one time we were doing a trade show in San Francisco, a Mac world trade show. And there was, we couldn't touch anything. The union had to move everything in or we would get in trouble. And I remember just like, there was this union guy. And one of the guys that I was there with from my company said, Hey, all right, go, go do your thing. See how much you can find out about that guy. You know? And I was like, okay. And then, you know, and I go, Hey man, I really appreciate you doing this for us. And how long you've been doing this. And, and about 20 minutes later, I, I you know, found out about, his bad relationship with this old lady and this new tattoo he had had and how he never gets to see his kid. And I just like, and, and I would come back and say, Oh, here's all these things about this guy. And I just felt like, man, that's what I like doing. So, so yeah. that's where those seeds were starting to, to be sown. I think. 
So you, but you first thought when you were going to be a therapist that it was just going to be a part-time thing. Oh, absolutely. And you got involved with projects like selling disc duplicators. You got involved with this uh, hardware company with, you know, this unique nuts and bolts system. I I know both of those experiences weren't good. They both went south. Uh, Was it doing this other stuff that just wasn't clicking? Is that what pushed you towards the full-time therapy? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question because so like the disc duplicator company, so my software company or my software career went almost 10 years and we did go through, I mean, there were about seven or eight years where I had this just every year more, more financially successful after the other. And I really did think, all right, financially, this is the right thing to do. And, And this is part of what I just feel so passionate about working as a therapist, where I get to sit across from guys that do feel like, well, as long as my day job is providing, I'll be fine. But meanwhile, they're coping. I mean, they're, they're right. all these coping mechanisms that aren't healthy. And so I do get to say, man, I hear you. I mean, I, I've been there and I've been in a job that was, was fine financially for a while. And, but I just didn't like it. And there's, you know, there's something about just not being able to feel so excited about going to work. And so, yeah. So then the therapy thing, I was in my early thirties and I just had felt honestly the like I, I it can be over said over or cliche at times. So I felt this calling because I really wanted to help guys be better husbands and fathers. Like that was this thing that I just felt, I don't know why I just felt the passion about that. And maybe it was because actually I haven't thought of it. And in the computer industry, it was primarily guys. I'm around guys right. all the time and I'm hearing of guys that are struggling in their marriages or guy. And I was, I loved my marriage or guys that were struggling in their parenting. And I couldn't, I, when I was this weird kid that when I was in high school, I couldn't wait to be a good dad, you know? And so right. I think there was part of that passion that was there and I'm watching these guys and, and I just felt like, man, I understand. Like, I know it's hard. And a lot of guys just feeling like, yeah, you know, but my old lady did this. And meanwhile, we're going out and they're getting drunk all the time or, you know, or, or they are there. We're, we sort of Las Vegas two or three times a year for trade shows for a long time. And people go in there and just doing stuff that I, they, they shouldn't have. And, you know, watching some of that stuff happen. And it's like, okay, this isn't what life is about, you know? Right. Now, yeah. you've, you've, you've talked a lot about your mental health uh, on, on the show, so I you know, don't need to go too deep into that. Um, but when you were finally diagnosed um, and you were a therapist yourself at that point, yeah. did that feel like a physician heal thyself moment? Or was it like, ah, that's why I came to this? I know you say you wanted to yeah. help men be, men be better fathers and whatnot, but you're in, you're in the business of mental health. Um, yeah. How, how did that play into your life when you finally got a diagnosis? Oh, it is such a, such a trip to think of. There's so many reasons why now I can look back and say, oh, my, maybe this is why. I mean, even just to have the patience to be able to sit with my kids as they kind of go through the things that they go through or the opportunity that uh, I've learned on how to be more empathetic and, and really hear my wife, even if my brains want to say, well, yeah, well, you did this or, but then the biggest thing was even as I moved away from the software career and I had started this hardware, this disc duplicator career with uh, just a, an amazing mentor, uh, Tom Yoshida, who was on, you know, took me on as like a almost like as a, in a father son relationship, you know, and really I, I would go to Japan four times a year and just, you know, he wouldn't just do business. He would take me around and see the sites and this sort of thing. But it's like all of that stuff just wasn't quite again, scratching this itch. And so I, you know, I go back to school and the more I learned just about, and, and here's another thing too. I wasn't the greatest student. It was, I wasn't bad, but I think I got out of my undergrad. I, I majored in mass communications with an emphasis in public relations, but even that was more of a, just get done, you know? And I, and, and so then I get into grad school and it's about marriage and family therapy and counseling. And I just, I ate it up. 
I mean, I think I had a 3.92 through my grad school and I, I still, I won't mention his name, but the professor that gave me an A minus, it was not fair. I mean, I should have gotten a four through grad school, but so I'm just feeling so passionate about those things. And so then I get into doing therapy and I'm, yeah, and I'm, and I, I'm still convinced for some reason that I won't be able to provide for my family unless I'm doing this hardware duplication or, or this nut and bolt company that really was amazing. Uh, or, you know, these sort of things. And I thought the therapy just had to be part-time. I, I was so convinced that it was such a part-time career and that I couldn't make a living doing it. That I was do you think, do you think you, did you feel somehow subconsciously that you were supposed to dislike your living or was supposed to be cool. somewhat arduous? Boy, that's wow. Okay, here we go. Wait, let me lay down for that one. Because that, <laughs> that one, I mean, you know, I, I, boy, okay, that's great. Because, I mean, even, you know, my dad, who was incredibly hard worker, spent 30 plus years with one company, retired early, you know, and just, I think, just was able to just, you know, grind, they call it, kids love to say grinding today, ground yeah. it, you know, just grind the daily grind, grind it out. And I felt like I was kind of a failure by not being able to just stay in the software industry for 10, you know, more than 10 years because it financially kind of fell apart. And then here I was in this hardware duplicator company and, and that had gone about 10 years. I was, and I felt like I was failing in that. And so, yeah, I think there was a part of me that felt like that, that love what you do and the money follows thing was a complete yeah. cliche. And I felt like, well, yeah, that's because somebody has a trust fund and now they're, they're, I don't know, working in a surf shop and they really don't care about money, you know, or, or whatever. So I think I did think that I couldn't just, like it. Yeah. Now, as a therapist, you know, you're not a nine to five guy. You're in there early and you're in there late. You've got the book, you know, that came out and you say you're working on other books, other programs. You've got the motivational speaking. You've already, you know, done the path back. Uh, I think people hopefully recognize that you're a dedicated father or husband. Yeah. Anybody who follows you on Facebook during basketball or uh, stunt team season can certainly yeah. see that. Um, how have you successfully learned, and maybe you don't feel like it's successful, but you're putting on a good show. Uh, how, how have you successfully learned to balance the professional and uh, personal life at this point? You know, I, I, I almost feel bad about what I'm going to say next, because I, that's one of the biggest struggles I see with people in my office of how do they find that balance? And I don't, I never wanted to be a workaholic. I don't enjoy being a workaholic. I love my work. I really do. I can't even tell you how much I love my work, but yeah, you, as anybody knows, I mean, when we were going through the book, man, you helped me so much with that, where I was not getting the writing done. And then, and then Josh would say, okay, let's just meet whenever you want to, and we'll record it. And then we'll get the transcriptions and we'll kind of work from that. And so it's really patient, but you know, we would be meeting at whatever, four in the morning, my time, four thirty, five, my time. And, and it was because I, I just had to get to the office so early just because I had so much stuff to do, but it's not like, oh man, I've got so much stuff to do. It was like, holy cow, I got all this stuff to do and I want to do it which super quick step back and then make sure that uh, you get me back here. But when you're talking about that diagnosis, when I, when I was finally diagnosed with ADHD or, you know, used to be ADD, ADHD inattentive type, um, I thought I was starting to really think I would, I had some pretty big depression because at that time I had filmed the path back and it sat there for over a year and I hadn't released it. I had a website that was not developed. I was sitting there with two years worth of, uh, no podcasts after I bought the equipment. Um, I had book ideas I wanted to, I had so many things that I wasn't doing, but yet I still was starting to get some traction in, in therapy. When I was in therapy, you know, I was just, I loved it. And, and I still would go speak everywhere. And so I was starting to get quite a, um, my practice was really growing, but I wasn't feeling as 
fulfilled or satisfied. And once I got that ADD diagnosis and I started, you know, for me, it was getting medicated. And then it was all of a sudden I'm able to just focus on things. I completed the path back. I completed the website. I started doing the podcast. Everything just kind of came together. And at that point, oh my gosh, things just kind of took off. And the, yeah. the so, and that kind of takes us back to that, the balance part. The reason I started this whole thing by saying, I feel bad about saying this is, I don't know, 20 years ago, I, I just, at that time I was, uh, for, for my church, I was teaching this, uh, called early morning seminary. It was like basically the Sunday school every morning before the kids would go to school. And I've been asked as a volunteer thing. I've been teaching it for years. And then I, I had, uh, I was kind of doing a couple of jobs at that time. I was doing the part-time therapy and I was trying to get the disc duplicator business going. And then I had also already become an ultra runner. And that had been something that I now realize was my healthy coping mechanism, my healthy addiction. And so all of that, but then I still wanted to be the world's greatest husband and father. And so there was something had to give and what gave was sleep. And so, but I also felt a little bit of this, I don't know, I look back on it as this magical time where I felt like um, I would get through with the day, put the family to sleep, even my wife, and then I would do schoolwork and then I would get up and still run and then go teach seminary and then go to work. And I did that for so long that I just, it became the norm. And so to this day, if I can get four hours of sleep, I mean, it is, that is all I need, you know, I yeah, need nothing okay. less. And so, Same. I, yeah. Same so, like, with you. so every day now, you know, if I go to bed by 10 30, I get up at two 30 and that gives me time to exercise and then get to the office early. And, and then, uh, and, and so that's helped me not have to miss out on kid things. And so I build my entire schedule around every kid event, every, every game, every reward presentation, you name it. And so I might work a lot when, when I work, but then I, you know, it's that whole work hard, play hard thing. And it's just been incredible. But even with that, I, I constantly feel like I'm not quite doing enough, you know, which uh, I think is right. I think, I mean, I, I think solid, right? people from the outside uh, would, would disagree with you. Now, no, no goosing the numbers. Uh, how were you doing your first month of podcast numbers wise? And yeah. what are you, what are you doing now? Yeah. I mean, not good. Those first few months. I think that's one of the funniest parts about this. Um, that I hear from people constantly. One of the things I love and I, I want to do working on a revamp of my whole website, which as a matter of fact, I think you at one point were like, Hey, yeah. uh, you didn't it say, dummy. you didn't say dummy, but I heard it. No, it like, no, no. But it was like, Hey, um, you might want to put on your website that you've actually written a book. It's a best selling book. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, still, still that, that revamp. You don't even have to put my name. Just say <laughs> you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, where was I going with that confession? The, uh, Oh, so the, the, the numbers, that sort of thing. So at first, um, yeah, the numbers, Oh gosh, there's ADD for you. Um, and I am not medicated this afternoon. There's the problem. Probably should have, that would have been a good idea. Uh, but one of the things I love doing now is, is doing podcast consulting. So I have people that will contact me and I will do in, in essence, you know, a session as if it were therapy on how to start a podcast and what some of the things that I would recommend. Cause I learned so much about that at the beginning. But one of those things is don't be, don't continually obsess on the numbers and uh, be incredibly consistent. So I was so committed to that consistency and I'm, I'm grateful now because so many podcasts, the date is pretty fascinating, get about six or seven episodes out. And then they realize that's kind of a fair amount of work. And I'm, and I'm only seeing dozens of download numbers. So why am I doing this? And then people quit. And it's like, I was, I was committed. And then I also, so here's the fun part. I think the having done the software stuff for a decade and had my own um, companies at that point, two or three of them that I had run and having a degree in mass communications with an emphasis in public relations, I, I was very strategic in inviting guests on 
and guests that typically had a little bit of their own following. So I was doing that strategically. So I do say that my numbers rose a little faster than I think most, you know, cause I, I would be considered a nobody, I'm sure. And it wasn't like I had anything going on in the, in the national spotlight at that point. Yeah. Um, but so, but so <clears throat> those first numbers though, and I, I tried to do almost every other episode to have a guest that would then be able to talk about them being on my podcast. But I still remember putting it out there. I'll tell you, man, I've never talked about this stuff. I, the stuff that was so hard for me or vulnerable was then reaching out to friends and family and saying, Hey, I put out this podcast. Here it is. I would love it if you would go review it, rate it and review it because that is the podcast gold. And right. then, and I could then little did they know I could kind of watch as none of them did it. And, and it was kind of breaking my heart. And yeah. so I would, I would continue to put out there, Hey, uh, if you haven't had a chance to yet, and then even people like I'm on it, you know, that sort of thing. And, it's it's and, like when friends and family say they're going to buy your book and you can prove that they didn't. <laughs> I know little do they know Josh. <laughs> um, so that, but so those first, that, that was hard, which I almost want to say right now, I feel like it's my 200th episode. I don't know why I wanted to say for my birthday, my birthday is not for a while, but I don't know if anybody was up for a 200th episode uh, uh, gift or whatever um, for me, I would love for them to, to really go and, and rate the podcast, subscribe and then write a review because it really does go far for kind of, bolstering your podcast up in the ratings. But so those, I still remember those first ones. It was, I mean, you'd get a couple of dozen people download in a few days. And I remember wanting to be excited about that, but also being very disappointed. And then I remember I subscribed to this thing called the pod news that comes out every day. And they had put out this thing. Thank goodness. The timing of it was amazing, but it said something to the effect of, you know, at that point there were six or 700,000 podcasts out there. And they said that if you got a hundred and it was like 142 downloads in a 30 day period, you were over 50% of, you know, in the 50th, 50 per first right. percentile. And I remember thinking, wow, okay. So I am kind of in that, those hundreds of downloads. And then it didn't take long. I think it was probably 20, 30 episodes in where then that hundred kind of went to, I remember the first time an episode got a thousand. And then now, you know, now when I release one on the first day, it gets several thousand downloads and then it will end up settling somewhere. Usually I don't know, 15, 20, 25,000 downloads, which I'm super grateful for. So now That's the total cool. downloads are, you know, it's over, it's over 2 million and, and it's just so that part's incredible. And I used to, and I truthfully, I'm grateful now that it's probably been a hundred episodes or so since I really would look back and obsess on the stats. Yeah. I used to look at every, every country that would download. I used to know all the, the metropolitan areas and, you know, I was shocked at those and, and it got to the point where it was every state and it was every metropolitan area. Right. And it was almost every county and it was every country. And it was just amazing. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly understand that. Um, last serious question that I have something fun for you. Okay. Um, if somebody only has 30 seconds to give the Tony over Bay eulogy at your funeral, oh, what do you hope that they're going to well, say? See, I know this one. I know this one. I, I want to just, I, oh, oh okay. Um, sorry, sorry about any cliches. But man, I just want to be viewed as one of, I am a positive person who has gone through things. So it's not like, I feel like you just have to change your thoughts and be happy. I know that isn't the way it works, but I know that the more you find out that who you really are and you, and you can shed all of those, you know, you should, you should do this. You should think this, you should feel this, you get rid of those shoulds. And then it's like, and just start to kind of live by who, what you really think is important to you that man, that is a good feeling. And it takes practice. It takes a lot of mindfulness to diffuse from the thoughts of, 
you know, people saying, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to think that or whatever? And I still deal with those on a daily basis. It's that imposter syndrome. But once you just start kind of just living life to its fullest, the way that you, only you feel like that's the way that it needs to be lived, that it is just an incredible experience. And, and I still, I always wanted to be the world's greatest father, the world's greatest husband. And so those things still at my core are who I really want to be. And those are the things that if I really start to worry, I don't worry as much about, you know, I don't know, will the podcast continue to go or will I get what's the next book going to look like? But the things that will, you know, quote, keep me up at night are, man, you know, am I doing that? Am I, do my kids think that I'm the, uh, somebody they can go to? Does my wife kind of feel like, all right, the last 29 years have not been in vain. And I really, I hope I feel like those are, those are questions I can answer correctly, but yeah. I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. Okay. Now what we're going to do, and I didn't prepare you for this. No. We're going to do the rapid fire question round. Uh, these are, I wanted one of these. These are, these are questions from all ranging from general trivia to opinions to deep thoughts. Yeah, um, I can't get any of these wrong, right? Are these just my... Oh, you can right? get a few of them wrong. Um, but, but here's the thing. You can't go off on a rant. I'm going to do this quickly. We're going to get through this. So you need to tell me what you think first. No, no second guessing yourself, okay? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. You've traveled the world. Where is your favorite and least favorite place to visit? Okay, Japan is my favorite place to visit because it is so peaceful. I think that I'm at least average height, sometimes even taller. I've actually grown to enjoy the Japanese food. My least favorite was a stint I did in Russia because in this one trade show that I went to, it was almost like this riddle of where each bathroom either missed a stall, a stall door, uh, a toilet seat, or something to wipe with. And I felt like ah. I, can't, I can't solve this riddle. So that was ah. one of the worst places ever. And I ate hot dogs off of a Russian hot dog cart, and I regret that to this day. All right. Did you see Tiger King? Uh, yes, I did. What'd you think? <laughs> oh, I mean, the therapist in me loved every minute of every crazy bit of it. And, and I, if, again, if I had time... I would love, I cannot wait to do, I want to do a podcast where I would be reacting to the Tiger King and I would be talking about it. I would be breaking it down from a mental health aspect, but oh, I loved it. And, and that's okay. one of those where honestly, where the, the authentic me, if somebody's like, I can't believe you watched that. It's like, okay, I, good for you. I loved it. I mean, every I, bit of it's craziness. I, I was curious what your answer would be. Yeah. D- does the idea of having grandkids excite you or does it feel like another marker on getting older and closer to death? Okay. I love being 50. I love, I cannot wait to have grandkids. I will be the world's world's even greatest grandpa. And so the only problem is that man, watching my daughter and her husband, um, have the fun that they're having together. I want them to wait as long as they can. My wife and I waited seven years before we had kids. And I feel like that really helped solidify our relationship, but I cannot wait to be a grandpa. Like I cannot even tell you, I cannot wait to have to be a grandpa. What color hair is listed on your driver's license? <laughs> it's blonde. And, and I didn't realize it's been 20 something, 20 years almost now that I've been shaving it. It was 31 or 32. And so when I do let it grow out, it's, it's not blonde. It's a whole lot of colors. Can we understand good without evil? Uh, no, we, we, we need to know a little both. Yeah. Okay. Name the song that this lyric comes from. <laughs> I spit on my screen. Okay. We're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. No, I don't know this. Let's wish you were here by Pink Floyd. Oh, see, I'm not, I was not quite a Pink Floyd guy. I was, I was into new wave and, and all that stuff. And uh, Pink Floyd that were the, the rockers at my school. I mean, I think I would probably appreciate it more in now in hindsight. What's the number one biggest problem with pornography? 
Um, the warping of one's sexuality and the lack of a real connection with a partner. And, and I feel like even when people say a little bit of porn, well, you and I, man, we've talked about this one for days that even when people are like, yeah, but a little bit is, well, it's like, okay, I'm not going to debate that if that's where that person's at at that moment, but I just want to implore them that there is a much deeper and better connection when the connection is with your partner period. Right. And a little bit of heroin isn't good either. So, right. yeah, exactly. uh, are you good at math? No, horrific at math. That's why I became a therapist. I had one math class in college and I got a C. How, uh, what's your favorite dessert? Um, it, oh, that's a, it used to, I did 20 years of um, eating vanilla and chocolate ice cream, stirred up really uh, a bunch with little chocolate chips in it. And then all of a sudden I just, I stopped one day. So now I'm super boring and I just, I don't know, I get a little bit of uh, dark chocolate and I, and I suck on it slowly. How boring. What's the uh, percentage of time that you feel like you zone out listening to a client drone on? Okay. If we go with the first several years of my practice, it was, there was a higher percentage. Now it is not very much at all. That is something that, um, mindfulness, that is what sold me on the whole concept of mindfulness was being able to just bring myself back to present. And after doing that for such a long period of time, recognizing then that my default was being present. And every now and again, I would notice I'm thinking about something else. Should governments have penalties for those who live unhealthy lifestyles? Oh man. Okay. So at my core, I want to say no, because I want to say if they are living unhealthy lifestyles, it's because of their own private experiences because of things in their life that either it wasn't modeled or it's a coping mechanism or stress or whatever. But then the part of me that says, man, if people were living healthier lifestyles, how much it does impact mental health. And even this kind of butterfly effect of if somebody is feeling pretty dialed in, in as, with their health, then they're better in relationship with their partner. And then they're better in a relationship as a parent, which then just, you know, and then everybody lives happily ever after. So did I dodge that one well enough? So you, so you want to say that, but the answer is yes? I didn't say anything. I don't know. I forgot the question. You, you said you want to say the answer is no. You forgot the question. Yeah. That's wow. happened a couple times today, but I've brought it back. That's my favorite okay. skill. Uh, that, that's fine. We'll move on. Who led the major league in doubles in 2004? Lyle Overbay? Yes. What relation are you? I've heard that I'm a distant cousin, but a couple times I've tried to reach out to him and have done so unsuccessfully. But if you look at him, I feel like he's got a little bit of my profile, although he's like 6'2 and, and rugged and just, you know, uh, yeah, very, uh, very athletic. But I, I, I did. I, and I still to this day am trying to find on eBay or something a decent Overbay jersey, you know, because he played for a handful of teams. So Lyle Overbay, if you ever hear this, reach out to me, please. Which is more real, mind or matter? Wow. <laughs> the first one that stumps me is that one. My initial reaction is mind because it is because our thoughts do as much as I do the whole acceptance and commitment therapy thing where, you know, our thoughts are our thoughts because of all the things we bring to the table. And I'm not trying to say you just magically change a thought, but then recognizing which thoughts are productive and not productive becomes very empowering. But then that leads to then some matter related things. So Yes. It's not, it's not an easy question. Okay. Okay. You're on a lifeboat with your life and you're with your wife and kids. One person has to be tossed over to save the rest. <laughs> and, and, it, and it can't be you. Oh, I say I'm over. You are solely put in charge of the decision. Who goes? That is an, that is an impossible scenario. I oh, will, it's not. I, I can hook it up if you want to really find out the answer. I would, I would try to uh, uh, spontaneously combust myself just so that I could get out of that, that scenario because I love my wife and all of my children 
uh, now I won't say just all the same, but each in their own specific ways, which is part of what I preach in my parenting stuff is that learning how to, you know, it's not my job to tell them how they should be. It's my job to figure out who they are and, and what their things are. That was a way to get around that. See, I, th- I think the answer is all life is equal. So you have a game of chance. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be at what age does a person become elderly? Oh, I love this question because I am not, I am not, I'm not elderly. I mean, I had a, a great I'm not one. saying you are, no, no, but I'm, 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 I'm now processing this. Right. So I would have told you when I was 30, that 50 was sold 50, yeah. and, and, and 50 and 50 as 50. I mean, I had an amazing yesterday, uh, you know, had a, a great run and, uh, played basketball with my son, you know, still lift weights, uh, three, four times a week. Um, I mean, I can't believe that I'm 50 and doing these things. And I always had this goal where I remember I wanted to be able to play basketball with my son or with teenagers in my thirties. And it was like in my forties. And I thought in my fifties and um, it's still, it's not, it's not hard. So I want this now in my sixties. And as an ultra marathon runner, every year when I would do these uh, hundred mile races, there's always somebody, always somebody in their seventies that's completing these hundred mile ultra marathons. And I, I will be that guy. I mean, that's who I want to be. Cause I just love it. So elderly, I don't know. I don't know if there is an elderly. Sounds like you're leaning towards 80. But even, yeah, probably. All right, let's go with 80. Okay. Does, does the law of attraction actually exist? Um, man, so I've got enough data on this one now just from doing some nice stuff around mirror neurons and telomeres. And, you know, so I believe that the mirror neuron uh, uh, where there are certain people that we are going to feel a more of a connection that we mirror. So yes or no. Yes or no. Does the law of attraction actually exist? Uh, no-ish, yes. yes. Or yes, it's no. Wow. That's that's really straddling the line. Thank you. Is Reiki real? Oh, I if it works for the person. Wow, you're really dodging these. But, but I've you, had people that have told me that it works amazing. <laughs> and I've had people that have told me it hasn't. You know, and and I think I've made uh, even jokes on a podcast where it's like when I talked to somebody that did was a Reiki practitioner and said they could do it over the phone. You know, I was kind of like, wow. I mean, and, you know, my joke was right. I got to figure this out because I could say to you right now all right, I'm doing it on you right now. How are you feeling? You know, give me your credit card. And so bless their hearts, especially if that works. Okay. Well, the answer is just because I believe dragons are real doesn't make it so. Okay. If you could give one gift to every child in the world, who would it, what would it be? Oh, I mean, my, my, my gut is confidence because I just feel like even just, but then I know that how hard that would be if the parents were shutting that down or whatever, but it would be confidence. I, I wish the kids just felt more confident in all that they did. Were you a better and more attentive father to your first child or your last one? Uh, I'm differently attentive. I think I was, man, I, that is a, honestly, I know I'm going to sound like a cop out. It's a great question because I think I would normally say that one is more attentive at first and then the cliched by the end, they aren't as attentive, but I happen to be on this therapist journey of figuring out how to parent better throughout that. So I feel like I could almost say equally yet different. You're great at these cop-outs. Thank you. Uh, and finally, what's one book that everybody should read in their lifetime? Oh, I really like the, I really do like the confidence gap by Russ Harris. It's a, it's a acceptance and commitment therapy book. Um, it's either that one or his book, the happiness trap, but actually what I mean to say though, Joshua, hold on. Yeah. I was going to say you're, do, you're giving well, the wrong answer. On your face. Oh, you're you giving the wrong answer. This one that I'm holding up in front of me. He's a porn addict. Now what an expert and a former addict to answer your questions. That's what I really meant to say. And I really do mean to say that though, I had no idea. And I know this wasn't the, where we, the setup, but I had no idea just the power that you and I answering questions and not having any idea what the other person would say 
and how that would work together. That it is, it is peanut butter and chocolate. It is a Reese's. I mean, it is like people are like, wow, that, that makes so much sense. And I really feel like, again, I'm sure you're getting the same thing. I get yeah. feedback all the time that this is, this has been, it's been pretty amazing to, well, and, and, and when the world reopens and people can go to their libraries, we are now in about 500 libraries worldwide. You know, that's been pretty incredible. Like we got this uh, library spreadsheet that you've been updating and I mean, I had no idea and there's plenty more to come. And then the yeah. ebooks out there now, the, the paperback still, you know, still there. And, uh, I, I agree. I think that's one, one of the things that I regret a little bit is that, and I think you've been so nice for me to be able to process this with you is part of that creating this lovable monster with the podcast, the practice and that sort of thing is I would love nothing more than to spend more time marketing these things that I love. But then I feel like then I just, and I don't know if that's even the ADD piece that comes in or wanting to do so many things or, you know, wanting to help as many people as I can, or, you know, and starting to realize I can't, that's the part I'm really struggling with. I mean, moving forward, it's how do I manage just as much as I think all of this part of life is so exciting and amazing and fun. There's so much of it that I, I think the next next challenge for me is really going to be prioritizing. Well, I think that's a fantastic place for us to end today. Um, I want to thank you for being on my show next week. Tony Overbay returns as the host. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for, I mean, honestly, this was, uh, this was it was very was hard fun. and vulnerable, but I really enjoyed it. I did. And, uh, and now I will just never release it, but I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I just wanted <laughs> you to, I want you to get through some of this stuff. And, and I was just, I'm just being a Budinsky wanting to know a lot of this stuff about you anyway, after knowing you for a couple of years now. I know. And I will, say i gotta take this opportunity anytime i can again now that we talked about that earlier thank you for going on a zillion podcasts radio interviews tv stuff and then reaching out to me saying hey here's a project because it was that was like one of the coolest things that i've ever done now and we're changing people's lives so i'm grateful for your you know your trust in me so i appreciate that all right and uh we will be back here for the 400th episode that sounds good okay thanks a lot tony Flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressure's up.